here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello and welcome back to Lucha of the Hidden Temple. My name is Dr. Nov. It's a pleasure to have your ear again. This week we've got another double shot episode. I'm not playing catch up. I guess I'm playing get ahead because normally these are like four or five or six days behind. Sorry about that if that bothers you. No one's actually ever expressed any real bother by that. So if you do have bother, by all means, contact me at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V. E-M-B-R-I-N-O If timeliness is of the essence And I hear enough of a demand I'll rejigger my schedule to try to get these out a little bit sooner But as it is, I've got a job Just like Rich and Joe have a job And I also have a band We've got a gig on the 24th in Dallas, Texas If you're in the area, I can give you the details Again, hit me up on Twitter But as it were, we've got two great episodes of Lucha Underground, or at least two episodes of Lucha Underground to discuss. The first for April 1st, and this one for April 8th, or my days off. It doesn't really matter. You get the idea. This is the VoicesOfWrestling.com Lucha Underground review, and let's get into our first episode. Last week's show was a fun show. I really enjoyed this show. I, I know some people felt like it was a placeholder, and I can get how you can have that read on it, but... I think what you got to do, especially with a show that doesn't have pay-per-views, is you got to look at the matches more closely and sort of enjoy them for what they are. So a good opening match is a good opening match. And Lucha Underground's pretty decent about giving you something to start off the show that'll whet your appetite. And I thought this week did a really good job of that. We'll get that in just a second. First, we are in Dario Cueto's office with Big Rick, and he introduces Killshot and his cousin, The Mac. Return of the Mac, or Arrival of the Mac, as it were. We also get the unveiling of the trio's titles. We get told there's going to be a four-week tournament, so we're going to get the first two weeks here, and I guess it's a short tournament. I guess it's a tournament made of eight people. I don't really know. There's no bracket. A bracket would have been really useful for this, because as it were, all we know is that it's going to be Rick with Killshot and the Mac versus somebody else a little later on in the episode. That's fine. I always enjoy these office segments. I think that they are fun because you get to see the dynamic between the wrestlers and the talent versus this promoter, Dario, who we don't really still know a ton about. We know a bit about his personality, but we just don't know a ton about his background still. There's still all these unanswered questions with Matanza. We're going to get a little more revelation of that here in a bit, but it's fun to see Dario Cueto on screen. He's a great character. I enjoy him a lot. And actually, I enjoyed... For what it was, this Angelico versus Mundo match, which was pretty competitive, with Angelico hanging with Johnny Mundo for most of this match. 
Commentary uh, a little all over the place here. Striker opens up and he goes, Vampiro, talk about this styles clash. And Vampiro goes, take it to the limit. Uh, not exactly ace commentary. Not exactly Byron Saxton bad though, right? The styles are actually pretty similar, which is what my Matt Striker comes around to saying. Or actually what Vampiro comes around to saying, either way, sort of undoes the whole talk about a styles clash. These guys are actually pretty similar. They're both high flyers who like a bunch of kicks and like doing leg-based offense. So it was a weird route to go down on commentary, and I didn't think it helped. It was just sort of distracting. We get told the match has big implications, and at first this is just hanging out there, but Striker does a good job coming back around and painting a picture of Angelico beating Johnny Mundo would move him substantially up the ladder. I don't know that they painted a great picture of what a loss for Johnny Mundo or a win for Johnny Mundo looks like, which is weird because that's what's going to end up happening here. The match is not really about Johnny Mundo, though, as we're going to find out later on in another Dario Cueto cutscene. So this match is very competitive for a while. Angelico is doing a lot of tit-for-tat type of offense. We have some really good like simulated combat stuff and normally you don't see that a lot in wrestling at least not in like wwe and sometimes it looks clunky because the guys are kind of going at 80 percent speed and the simulated kicks and the simulated punches only really work if you're going about 90 percent you don't have to be going light speed because then it's almost like the eye can't follow it but you've got to be doing stuff at a speed that is plausible if it looks like i had all day and i could even get out of it well then i don't ex- doesn't make the wrestler look good when he gets kicked in the face that wasn't the issue here in this match though i, I thought this was good angelico looks sharp he hits his razor's edge into the corner and johnny mundo is able to get his foot on the ropes for the break and then moon or then angelico tries again this time, Mundo is able to counter out of the Fall of the Angels, I believe is what his finishing move is called. And Mundo is kind of stranded on the top ropes. Angelico still in it, still trying to get that win, quickly recovers and goes up to try to stop the Finda Mundo, but isn't able to, gets knocked off and gets caught. Earlier in the match, too, Angelico rolled out of the way. I thought this match made Angelico look really good, and I think maybe a good story to tell out of this match is that Angelico showed that he is... Getting more comfortable with the competition around here. Angelico is showing that he wants to move up the ladder. And he gave a good Son of Havoc-esque performance. Where he was competitive, but wasn't quite able to gut it out. After the match, we get a very, very Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino cutscene. With Black Lotus and El Dragon Azteca. Who says, come with me. Which is funny. And I mean, I don't know. Like, this straddles the line right between being really fun and being really cheesy and maybe it's okay that it's right in between the both but so think about avenge the parents and then that little you know possessive right there at the end which is properly placed it's just funny to see a possessive placed in flashy letters in a montage I I don't know weird things like that but I enjoyed that after the match, we have Alberto El Patron backstage with Johnny Mundo. And hey, guess what? What I wanted to have happen is happening. And what I wanted to have happen was Alberto El Patron not just rehashing shit from AAA. And Johnny Mundo calls him out on it. So kudos to the writers for knowing what the knock was going to be when they brought in Tejano and had Tejano be Alberto El Patron's first opponent in Lucha Underground. 
So Johnny Mundo is now trying to position himself as, he calls himself the face of the company, which, in all fairness to Johnny Mundo, he might be, because Prince Puma's under a mask, and El Patron's kind of on rental, and so if you had to put a actual face, the face of a wrestler out there, at this point, Johnny Mundo's even more connected with the fans, so he's got at least some claim to it, even if he's not being booked that way, right? Alberto El Patron and Johnny Mundo exchange little snipey comments. It's very passive-aggressive, very catty, and we're teasing a match down the road, and just which is good. And it should be like this backstage because both of these guys are gunning for Puma's prize. So I don't blame them for being catty. This is exactly what I wanted to see. Up next, we've got another Dario Cueto office scene. And this time, Sexy Star is in the office. Dario Cueto is building out his trios tournament. And he tells Sexy that she is going to be competing in this tournament. And because Maskey and Pimpy are still on the shelf from being beaten up by the crew, he's got the hookup for her. And the hookup comes in the form of Superfly. And he's really putting Superfly over. I don't feel like Dario's been watching when Superfly's been wrestling. But Dario's got a ringer for Sexy. And the first time I saw this, I was dying because I was like, oh, it's going to be Pentagon Jr. I bet you it's going to be Pentagon Jr. This is going to be fucking awesome. And guess what? It's Pentagon Jr. And at the end, Dario has a fun little line that this could be Sexy's big break. I didn't catch it the first time either. Drago versus Aerostar in what is a must-win situation for Drago and a potential closeout situation for Aerostar. If he wins this match, there is no match five, and he can just get the unique opportunity that Dario Cueto promised him. So naturally, there's a lot on the line for both of these guys. Commentary is going to play this up, and this is going to be a 10 or 15, maybe even 20-ish minute match between these two guys, and we're going to get... A swerve or something. Drago's going to get desperate. Or Aerostar's going to decide that he doesn't care about winning clean. He cares about winning outright. Both of these guys have the opportunity to turn and the incentive, a rational incentive, for them to cheat. And commentary is playing up that this is a match between the Technicos. But then I noticed that commentary didn't bring up the fact that this is a must-win situation for Drago, really. And they definitely didn't bring up that this was a closeout situation for Aerostar. And then the match goes about seven or eight minutes, and it's fine. There's a cool little springboard move that uh, Aerostar does from one rope to the next rope before he does a somersault outside. And Drago closes out this match relatively quickly with... A top roof, what a maneuver, because I don't know the name of it. Sorry, guys. And a neat leg vice pinning combination, which is probably wrong, but he laces the legs up, and he also shifts his weight onto the shoulders of Aerostar. I like Drago's pinning combinations. I think they're unique, and they're different, and you don't see people winning matches with dexterous pinning combinations these days. I'm not talking about the WWE roll-up special. I'm talking about, like, real pinning combinations. The commentary could sell 
wow, he was able to sneak one out on this guy with his superior technical skills because this wrestler just simply didn't know about this move and has never been in this move before. And because he is in this pinning combination that he's never been in before, he doesn't know how to get out of this pinning combination. And that's the way a little guy can sneak out a victory. Because it's one thing to do a schoolboy or a small package, but the problem with that is that should be kayfabe here in every wrestler's arsenal. So every wrestler has trained to get out of the small package, or it's named the fucking schoolboy. It's the schoolboy. Anyone can kick out of it, and anyone can put it on. The whole thing with the schoolboy is, if it's put on cleanly without someone pulling up the tights or something, all one has to do is kick their legs up, or shift their weight up and over, depending on the angle. Again, I'm talking kayfabe here. With one of these fancy leg lock pinning moves, it's not so clear what the escape would be, or if there even is an escape. So, oddly, the pinfall, if you just take it entirely in a vacuum, and you even just take the finishing sequence, that's cool, and does fit this match. But what doesn't fit this match is the level of intensity during the match, the length of the match, the way commentary presented it, the way production didn't bother to play up the fact that Aerostar could win this match and this series could be over right here tonight. What you need to do is present to me that Aerostar could win this match. And at no point did I feel like watching this match that Aerostar could win. And I'm not saying that I had to feel like that, but I at least had to see an attempt to get me to believe that Aerostar could win this match. And now we go to our main event in this episode, which is the first in the trios tournament. And this match had a lot of intrigue for me. I I don't know about some of y'all. You might not have enjoyed it as much as I did. But I was very excited to see Pentagon Jr., not just killing jobbers anymore, and also being paired with the only jobber whose army hasn't broken in Superfly. It wasn't really explicitly brought up, but I thought that was really funny. And also him being paired up with Sexy Star. There was nothing but intrigue for how this match was going to end up being booked, and I think that they were able to get a lot done in this match, and these matches are a wonderful vehicle for storytelling. I liked Vampiro bringing up how trios matches originally started up because there wasn't enough work for all the workers and so they essentially made a different type of match so they could get more workers on the card that is vampiro basically telling you that's why we're doing these types of matches and it makes all the sense in the world because you do only have three matches on each one of these episodes and you can get six people in an opener every week now versus four people in an opener it's just it's a useful tool so let me run through the blow by blow of this um oh real quickly before we get into that son of havoc has now got a posse which includes ivalice and angelico that was in the dario cueto cutscene that was just a funny little throwaway cutscene i wanted to make quick mention of it and then we get into the ring pentagon he hates his partners Some guy in the crowd yells, oh, come on, as Pentagon is cutting this promo on his partners, which I thought was really fucking funny. Mac and Pentagon start off the match, and you may think that Willie Mac skips Abday, understandable, but let me tell you, this guy can really move around for a dude of his size. If you're familiar with his work, I'm sure that's no shocker to you, but I had not watched a whole lot of Willie Mac prior to this. 
So we get Willie Mack and Pentagon early in the match. That's fun. A lot of little blow-by-blow sorts of things. Pentagon starts to get the upper hand, but Willie Mack is much more formidable competition than Pentagon has had thus far. And that definitely comes across in the way that they sort of pace things out. Eventually, Pentagon goes for his arm-snapping finisher that I, again, don't know the names of the finishing moves. Or at least, his finishing move doesn't even have a name. So, give me a break on this one. And Pumas is the 630. I, I, I do research, like, occasionally, like, like once a week. You know, so, after that, we get Superfly, who comes in, and he wrestles Killshot for a minute. And that happens. And then Sexy tags herself in, and she wrestles Killshot for a minute. And, you know... You could tell Killshot's holding back. I, the whole thing is that she's supposed to be toe-to-toe with the dudes. And every time Sexy's in there, it's like we're handling her with kid gloves. I I don't know. It's just weird to me. Then we get Rick and Sexy in the ring. And Rick ends up tossing Sexy's star out of the ring, which sets up the spot for Killshot and the Mac to go and fly to the outside. And they do that. What's fun about this is then Rick teases like he is going to go out there. For a second, I actually bought it the first time I watched this. And then you can see that he's tuning up the band so heinously slow that something has to happen. And that does happen in the form of Sexy Star diving off of the top. We then get... Pentagon and Rick in the ring, and this was actually something I was very excited about in this match as well. We were going to get to see Pentagon going up against real dudes and going up against Big Rick. I think that's a potential feud that would be good for Pentagon Jr. Unfortunately, that dynamic energy that I was hoping for between Pentagon and Rick, it just wasn't there. So, anyways, we move next to Killshot versus Pentagon, which happens, and... Matt Stryker of Vampiro says they have very similar bodies. And if you look at these two men standing next to each other, they couldn't be built more differently. Killshot has very long limbs and a very long and slender torso. And Pentagon... Just look at a fucking picture. I don't, I'm not even going to break this down. It's, it's ridiculous. Next, we get the near fall. And in this near fall sequence... Sexy Star gets boosted up by Pentagon to deliver a big Hurricane Rana to Killshot off of the top rope, which leads to Superfly jumping off with a frog splash. This gets broken up by Big Rick. We're now getting into the chaotic finishing sequence here. Eventually, Killshot gets back into the ring with Superfly. He jumps, does a springboard off of the ropes, somersault, comes up, Catches Superfly with a cutter that's not quite perfectly timed, but I see what he was going for, and it's pretty sweet looking. Mac picks him up, does a brain buster to Superfly, which leads to a double stomp off of the top ropes. And so Superfly gets pinned. This is a big problem for Superfly because now Pentagon Jr. smells jobbers. And you know what happens when Pentagon Jr. smells jobbers, guys? He's got to snap their fucking arms. And so he's getting ready to do that to Superfly, but Sexy Star makes the save. So Sexy and Superfly run off into the night. Pentagon is in the ring, and he's not a happy camper. And that ends the first episode in our double shot. We begin the April 8th episode of Lucha Underground back in Dario Cueto's office with the very taciturn Prince Puma, accompanied by Conan, 
speaking to Dario Cueto, who informs Puma and Conan that they're going to need to assemble a team for a trios matchup next week as part of Dario Cueto's trios tournament. He will be facing a team assembled by Dario Cueto that is led by King Cuerno and two other characters to be discovered later on in our main event where Prince Puma will be defending his belt against King Cuerno who will be accompanied by his teammates. So Dario Cueto tells Prince Puma that he needs to assemble a team so that he can have some posse by ringside. My quibble with the usage of King Cuerno is twofold. First... King Cuerno is not a leader, he's a loner. And if King Cuerno was in this trio's team after it's clear that Prince Puma's going to add in Johnny Mundo, that makes all the sense in the world to me. But this team makes a lot more sense being led by Cage, who has established that he has beef with Prince Puma. And, oh, by the way, the last time he had a match against Prince Puma, it took three dudes to fell the guy. So this is a guy who still has residual beef that he would like to get resolved, and here's another bite at the apple for him. Secondly, I don't think you should just have King Cuerno in a title match for the first time against Prince Puma when these guys are natural nemesis. You have the king and the prince, the hunter and the mighty beast. It makes all the sense in the world for these guys to have a slow build and for it to be weeks before they touch. Not like, you know, six or eight weeks. That'd be a killer long time in Lucha Underground time. But a good four weeks before they touch, a little stalking affair, kind of like what King Cuerno was doing against Drago when he had his series of matches against Drago. That makes a lot more sense to me than just hot-shotting a Prince Puma versus King Cuerno match for the first time on your TV, especially if you're going to surround it with all this gimmickry and storytelling. Our opening match begins with a showcase of dysfunctional trios with Son of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico on one side versus the team of Drago, Aerostar, and Phoenix on the other side. Phoenix is dressed in all pink this week and he doesn't have Katrina, so I guess he's just working as the peacemaker. It's not going to work in this match, though. This match is all about showcasing the dysfunctionality between Son of Havoc's team and also the dysfunctionality of Drago's team, and we'll get to that in just a moment. The match starts off with Phoenix versus Angelico, I guess the most well-adjusted members of both. Angelico's just a creeper, and Phoenix is just hanging around with a weird supernatural woman who's trying to manipulate him, so I guess they're the most normal of the bunch. And then eventually, Ivelisse tags herself in off of Angelico, leading to a little bit of a square off with Phoenix. They had good chemistry, and Ivelisse hits a nice-looking DDT on Phoenix. I would like to see these two work a legit match at some point. Angelico and Phoenix square off, and then Drago and Angelico square off, and this leads to a triple-team sequence, which might have looked cool if it had been covered better by cameras, but from the angle they shot it, it just sort of looked like Aerostar falls off of Phoenix's shoulders from the top rope, leading to a pinfall combination. And then, inexplicably, because it's not even the rules of the match... Drago decides that he wants to get the pinfall, which he can't get. And I get that they're trying to tease tension, although they should have been teasing that last week. But this is a really stupid way to tease tension because it makes Drago look like a guy not who's cheating and breaks the rules, but who doesn't actually understand the rules of this match, which is not an endearing characteristic in either a heel or a baby face. It just makes you look stupid. It makes you look like Cameron trying to tell the ref to count the pinfall when there's no pinfall to count. 
more dysfunctionality ensues when Aerostar goes for a high-flying move to the outside and instead of landing on top of Angelico, lands on Drago, but we quickly cut away from that so we don't even get a little shoving or pushing or just yelling at each other or the tension that you're trying to tease. So again, another storytelling opportunity missed here in a match that is essentially set up to tell stories. And so we get into our finishing sequence. Son of Havoc is in the match, finally. He's the hot tag, and the crowd really likes Son of Havoc, and Lucha Underground's done a good job connecting this fan base to Son of Havoc through a slow build. I really have to applaud the work with that. And Son of Havoc's in the ring against Aerostar and Drago. It looks like he's in trouble. Ivalice is in the corner. She's got her hand out. Looks like she wants to make the tag, but oh no. Blue balls. No tag for you, Son of Havoc. And Aerostar and Drago look like they're going to get the upper hand, but dysfunctionality ensues, and Son of Havoc's able to take advantage of the dysfunction and hit his very gnarly-looking shooting star press for the surprise victory. Ivalice is on the stairs trying to walk away, and she turns around, or she's walking away really, really slowly, if you're paying attention, and she turns around and sees Son of Havoc celebrating in the ring, and she's like, nah, this is terrible. Meanwhile, Angelico, being the creeper that he is, is outside, and he's more than happy to take a victory that he didn't really win, but you know, anyone counts for Angelico at this point. Backstage, our champion Prince Puma is training for his match tonight against King Cuerno when Conan comes up to him and tells Prince Puma not to worry about the trio's matchup because he now has Hernandez on his team and all they need to do is find one other person. Enter Johnny Mundo, who says that he will be this other person because he's got beef with King Cuerno and Prince Puma needs to watch his back against King Cuerno because King Cuerno is kind of a shady motherfucker. And if anyone should know, it'd be Johnny Mundo who is getting stalked by King Cuerno for weeks on end. Prince Puma and Johnny Mundo debut their montage handshake, which is pretty bitchin', but Conan doesn't trust them, even after the bitchin' handshake, and says that if Johnny Mundo tries to make a move, he's gonna whack him over the head with his cane, and Hernandez is gonna go all ape shit on him. Puma's not thrilled about this either. Puma's just caught between a rock and a hard place. He needs partners, he needs allies, because everyone's gunning for him, but maybe this Conan guy has some ideas that Puma's not crazy about. Superfly is in the ring, and his opponent tonight is going to be Sexy Star because Dario Cueto's made this match. Dario Cueto comes out beforehand and says that he wants to make sure that there's some intensity between these two. So, to make it interesting, he's going to make it a mask versus mask match. And we spent weeks building Sexy Star, and we spent none time building Superfly, and he's the only jobber the Pentagon Jr. hasn't killed yet. So, guess what's going to happen during this match? Yes, you're right. Superfly is going to lose. And this match, let's do the breakdown. A lot of slapping happened. At one point, Stryker inexplicably says, look at the pace of this match. And they are not working at the breakneck second gear that you would expect a mask versus mask type of match to have. They're doing feeling out moves and whatnot. This match had no sense of urgency. And they tried to make a sense of urgency by Superfly doing some heelish stuff like kicking sexy star in the head I feel like this crowd feels like anytime any male does anything to sexy star at all that's a heel move which in this whole gender equality quest that they're trying to go on with sexy stars character you need to just get the fuck over that she's wrestling she's gonna get hit 
I don't. That doesn't make the guy who hits her a heel. She's wrestling. It'd be like if she was doing MMA or something. It's it's dumb. So this match is over mercifully fast, and we see Superfly unmasked, and then Pentagon Junior comes in, and because he smells Jobber, and he smelled it last week, and now he's certain. He's certain that this Superfly guy is a Jobber. He wasn't sure, but now he knows. And like all Jobbers, Pentagon must feast, and Pentagon feasts upon. Superfly's arm, the recently unmasked Superfly's arm, and Sexy Star is helpless and doesn't on the outside. The crowd is going crazy for this, too. I'm interested to see how this encounter between Sexy Star and Pentagon goes, and if Pentagon is a heel during this, or if he continues to have pretty substantial crowd support. My gut tells me that some people are actually going to be all too happy to see Pentagon Jr. beat the shit out of Sexy Star. That's not a good thing, especially not for a character whose backdrop is she put on the mask after being abused and feeling suicidal. It is main event time between Prince Puma and King Cuerno for the Lucha Underground title. Prince Puma comes out first, and he is wearing a Puma head. That looks really cheesy. That Matt Stryker explains is mocking King Cuerno. And this is curious because Puma's not really one so much for jokes. Puma's not really one so much for words. So jokes would definitely not be a thing that he does unless he was going to start moving more into a slapstick kind of Charlie Chaplin type thing. But I don't think that would work so well for Prince Puma. Out comes King Cuerno, and then King Cuerno unveils his partners for next week's trios match, which, again, this whole title match is just a setup for, right? This isn't a real title match. And his partner's going to be none other than Cage and Tejano. We get into the ring, and King Cuerno and Prince Puma are squaring off. Cuerno is feeling out Puma slowly. He rubs his fingers into the mat and does a number of kind of Hunterish mannerisms that Vampiro plays up quite nicely, and you know this is actually where Lucha Underground's commentary probably has their biggest strength. They're good at capturing mannerisms most of the time. Even the Puma mocking King Cuerno, Stryker called that right. I just didn't think that that was a real logical thing for the character of Prince Puma to be doing at that point. This match is a little bit of cursory feeling out until eventually King Cuerno finds himself on the outside and Prince Puma is going for a high-flying move to the outside only to be caught by Cage and Tejano who feed Prince Puma into King Cuerno for a neck breaker and it's at this point that you know that this match is not really a match so much as it is a build for next week's trios match. This is not a world title match. Shortly thereafter, Prince Puma is in a pinning scenario where he kicks out quite quickly, prompting Matt Stryker to say to Vampiro, surely Prince Puma learned that from the Great Conan. And Vampiro goes, how can you call him the Great Conan, man? Just completely disgusted. It was really, really funny. Later on in the match, the referee is distracted by Hernandez and Johnny Mundo, which allows Tejano to tie up. Prince Puma to the ring post with the bull rope and allows King Cuerno to get the advantage. There's a lot of shenanigans in this match. This is just a match of shenanigans. Late in the match, Prince Puma is going for a springboard maneuver and it appears that he slips and King Cuerno goes for the pinfall and says something to the effect of go home and he picks up Prince Puma for the finish of this match, which is supposed to be the thrill of the hunt, but then Hernandez hops up onto the apron 
King Cuerno puts down Prince Puma, goes over to attack Hernandez. Hernandez claps King Cuerno about the ears, which disorients King Cuerno. He falls down, and it allows Prince Puma to hit the 630 off the top rope to retain. One small observation from the end of this match. After the match, Bedlam ensues between the babyface and the heel team, but who's not there is King Cuerno, and King Cuerno was actually very quickly brought to the back by the referee at the end of the match. So it made me wonder if maybe Prince Puma didn't hit that 630 as cleanly or as painlessly as one might hope. That's going to draw this episode of Lucha of the Hidden Temple to a close. Please leave feedback on iTunes and you can hit me up on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. I want to thank you all so much for listening and until the next one, cheers. Great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Kuhn, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.